This evening I'll be preaching on the topic of prayer, and um, I'm just so very thankful once again to be blessed with the opportunity to glorify our God, especially to preach in such a wonderful gift that God has bestowed us with, the gift of being able to enter into his very presence and approach him in prayer. This is a wonderful heritage that we as saints have been blessed with. So it's such a great honor to be before you and to speak about these lofty things, these lofty gifts, and such a wonderful thing that we as a church continue to focus on prayer because it's so critical and so essential to the life of the believer. So we can never speak too much about prayer. We can never learn too much about how we should approach God in prayer because the Bible gives us a plethora of direction as to how we should engage our Holy Father in prayer. So with that as the focus, let us have a time of prayer before I preach. Dear God, you who are worthy of worship and praise, we just come before you and Thank you for blessing us with the great honor of being able to approach you, to place our appeals and our entreaties before you. We thank you for this great gift, and we ask that you please bless us as we come together in worship today. Bless us that we may be a fragrant aroma unto you, that you may be pleased and that we may be drawn near to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, today I'll be preaching a sermon, and it will be focused on the message of praying according to God's will. And this message will be based on the scriptures that are found in the book of 1 John Chapters five, chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. So please open up your Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 5. And I'll start out reading in verse 13, and then I'll go ahead and explain verse 14 through 15 as a part of my message. Now here in verse 13, the Apostle John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, these faithful words were written by the Apostle John. And as many of you know, he wrote these words towards the latter stage of his earthly ministry when he was the last living apostle living in the city of Ephesus. And at this point in time in his ministry, the Apostle John was the overseer of the plethora of churches that were within the region of Asia Minor. And at that point in time in history, these congregations that were 
gathering there throughout the region of Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. They were being assaulted by false teachers who were infiltrating the church. They were coming into the church and bringing in false doctrines, false philosophies. Specifically, Gnosticism was one of the main ones that they were assaulting the church believers with. They were seeking to corrupt the faith and shipwreck the faith of those believers in that very region. And John, being a loving shepherd of his flock, and as you remember throughout the Bible, we see descriptions of John being the the fiery apostle. He was the one that called for, that asked Jesus Christ if they should call thunder upon that village. So this is why Jesus Christ referred to him and James as sons of thunder. So John, although he was aged at this point in time in his ministry, his passion for the defense of the faith, for the defense of the believers had not waned. So under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he penned this particular epistle in order to refute those false teachers and in order to provide those believers in the region of Asia Minor with confidence in their salvation. And John goes about accomplishing these objectives by focusing on many of the essential doctrines of the Christian faith throughout the entirety of this epistle. From chapter 1 through chapter 5, he focuses on those foundational tenets of our faith. And then right then in verse 13, as our brother Jim mentioned earlier this morning, he provides us with a summation of his argument. And he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And when he says, I write these things, he is focusing back on everything and all those essential Christians' faiths that he had um, brought forth within, the, within this particular epistle. And he says that he writes them so that they may know that they have eternal life because the Apostle John knows that as believers in Jesus Christ, we have an eternal inheritance in heaven. However, we will not partake of the fullness of that inheritance until we get to heaven. But while we are here on earth, God has blessed us with the great gift of prayer, with the great instrument of communing with him, that we may be able to access the manifold blessings that he offers to us right here on earth as we walk with Jesus Christ and place our trust in him. And John focuses on this great gift right here, starting in verse 14. And he says, this is the confidence that we have toward him. Now, when he says, this is the confidence that we have toward him, he is indicating that as believers in Jesus Christ, as believers who have been bought by the blood of the precious Lamb of God, we have been welcomed into the family of God. God the Father in heaven has has accepted us as his beloved children. And because we are now his beloved children, we can approach God with confidence in prayer. In the NASB, it translates that word as boldness. 
So John is speaking to the fact that we can boldly approach God in prayer. We can freely and openly approach him and place our petitions and our appeals before him. And because he's our father who has sacrificed his son, and because Jesus Christ has purchased us to be his possession, we can now enter the presence of God spiritually in prayer with great confidence and with great boldness with great openness and with great freedom. And this great access that we've been blessed with is supported by other scriptures such as Ephesians 3.11. Please turn your Bibles to Ephesians 3.11. Now there in Ephesians 3.11, you will see that it says, the Apostle Paul says that according to the eternal purposes that God realized in Jesus Christ. We have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So what he is emphasizing there is that through our faith in Jesus Christ, we have access to God and we can access his presence through prayer boldly. And this was according to the eternal purpose, the eternal plan that God set forth in the plan of redemption. And we, as believers in Jesus Christ, are beneficiaries of this great access that he has blessed us with. This access that we have is further supported by Hebrews 4.16. Please turn your Bibles to Hebrews 4.16. Once you're there in the book of Hebrews, although the author of Hebrews is unknown, However, we know that it is the Holy Spirit of God that authored every book within the canon. So God says to us in Hebrews 4.16, he says that we, with confidence, we can approach. He says, let us draw near with confidence the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So that further supports the fact that we can draw near to the throne of God's grace with confidence. And when we're in a time of need, when we're afflicted, when we're challenged, when we're suffering, we can expect that our Father in heaven, who loves us dearly, he will shower us with his divine mercy. He will bless us with his divine grace. And he will provide us with the help that we need at that time that we seek him. And this is what it's speaking to, further affirming what the Apostle John explains to us, that we can access God boldly and confidently. And this access, we must treasure it because it's unprecedented, because it's not until Jesus Christ sacrificed himself on the cross that we were able to access God in prayer. Because according to the Old Testament sacrificial system, as you well know, the people of God, the Israelites, they could not enter into the Holy of Holies. That part of the temple that was separated by a veil, that separated the people of God from the place 
where God's literal presence, his Shekinah glory, which sat over the mercy seat, which sat over the Ark of the Covenant, that's where God's literal presence resided. And the Holy of Holies, that curtain separated that holy place. And so the people of God couldn't access it. Only the Jewish high priests, if you recall, could access the Holy of Holies. And he could only access it once a year. And that's on Yom Kippur, which is called the Day of Atonement. It was only on that one day of the year that the Jewish high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. And he had to go through a significant degree of washing and ceremonial preparation before he entered that very presence where God resided, or not, he would be struck dead. And when he entered, he had to enter with incense. And that incense provided some measure of of protection against the glory of God that shone in the Holy of Holies. And when he entered, he had to enter with blood to offer for the remission of sins of himself and for the people. And this is clearly described in Scripture in Hebrews 9-7. Please turn your Bibles to Hebrews 9-7. Now there again in Hebrews, we find a great description of the lack of access that we had to the Holy of Holies. Because there in Hebrews 9, 7, in speaking about entering into the Holy of Holies, it says that only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without blood, which he offers for the unintentional sins of the people. So this further supports the fact that the people of God could not enter the Holy of Holies. Only the Jewish high priest could enter. And he had to enter with blood, which he offered for the forgiveness of his sins and for the sins of others. Therefore, the only reason that we can now enter into God's presence spiritually in prayer is because Jesus Christ sacrificed himself on the cross. And the result, as a result of his sacrificial death on the cross, we were then given access to God. And this particular truth is clearly described in Hebrews 10.19. Please turn your Bibles to Hebrews 10.19. And there we'll see the truth of the fact that it is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we are given access to God. Because it says there in Hebrews 10, 19, it says that we, have, we can now with confidence enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which is offered to us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Now there it draws a comparison between the flesh of Jesus Christ being ripped open. And if you recall, the veil or the curtain of the temple that ripped open at the point that Jesus Christ was on the cross and he gave up its spirit, the Bible records that at that very point, the curtain that separated the people of God from the presence of God was ripped in two, symbolizing that we now have access 
through the ripped body of Jesus Christ, through his sacrificial death, we are now given access to the holy place. So we must cherish this. So when we encourage each other to consistently pray to God, to make time for this in our personal devotion time, to make time for this, to pray with others, to make time for this when we're in church together. We should never, ever take prayer for granted. Amen is absolutely right. Absolutely right. We should cherish this great access that we have been given. We should cherish this great gift, this great honor. And this is what the Apostle John is speaking to in verse 14. And then in the second half of verse 14, he goes on to say, this is the confidence that we have toward him. He says that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So this is a promise that God has given to us believers in Jesus Christ. He has given us the promise that he, the father of glory, will hear our prayers. This is a divine guarantee that God will hear the prayers of us, his beloved children. What a great guarantee it is. But he sets forth this guarantee with a divine caveat. He sets it forth with a divine criteria. He sets it forth with a divine requirement. And that requirement is that our prayers must be placed and aligned with his will. So we must pray according to his will if we as believers want to receive this guarantee that our prayers will be heard by God. God requires us to align our desires with his. He requires us to align our plans with his. He requires us to align our prayers with his righteous will. And this divine caveat was even submitted to by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Although he was the very son of God, although he was the one who was sent to redeem us, although he was the one who was at the right hand of God for all of eternity, when he came down to earth and accepted his role as the son of the father, he submitted to this divine caveat. And we see a great example of this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Please turn your Bibles to Luke twenty-two forty-two. Now there in Luke twenty-two forty-two, we see a great example of our wonderful high priest submitting to this righteous criteria that God the Father has instituted. Because as Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was about to be arrested, tried, and crucified, when he looked forward to the sins being placed upon him 
the sins of the entire world, when he looked forward to the fact that he was going to be separated from the Father, he pleaded with the Father according to his will. He pleaded with him and said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, submitted to this divine caveat. For when he prayed, he prayed according to the will of God. And if he, the God of all creation, Jesus Christ, the one who purchased us with his blood, if he prayed according to God's will, how much more should we pray according to God's will? How much more should we seek to align ourselves and unify ourselves and our prayers and our cares with the will of God, with his plan for our lives, with his plan for his church here on earth, with his plan for his kingdom advancement here on earth? If Jesus Christ aligned himself with God's will, then so should we. And as we align ourselves with the will of God, we must not use prayer to try to fulfill our own selfish desires. We must not try to use prayer in order to accomplish our own self-centered purposes. And the scriptures speak directly against this in the book of James chapter 4 verse 3. Please turn your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 4, verse 3. And once there, you will find that God uses James to admonish the believers that he is writing to. And as that book of James is written to, the majority of Jewish believers who were in the dispersion dispersed throughout the world because they had to flee Jerusalem due to persecution. James writes to them. And he admonishes them concerning lifting up prayers to God the Father that were self-centered and not aligned with God's will. For he says there in James 4, 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So there James reprimands the believers to not pray for selfish reasons, to not pray for God to bless them with things just so that they could spend it on their own pleasures, just so that they can fulfill their own desires, just so that they can fulfill their own selfish objectives. Because God has called each and every one of us to pray according to his will, because the purpose of prayer is so that we could accomplish God's will here on earth so that God could use us to unify ourselves with his divine plan, that his will for the advancement and the building up of his church here on earth may be accomplished. And as his will is accomplished, then God is glorified. Therefore, the purpose of prayer is to align ourselves with God's will, that his will here on earth may be accomplished and that God may be glorified. However, although that's the primary purpose of prayer, another purpose of prayer, and I love this one because it's personal to each and every one of us, another purpose of prayer is to bring joy to us believers. Amen is right. 
our God is such a wonderful God that he could have just instituted one purpose for prayer. But within that primary purpose, he is also instituted for the objective of prayer to be that we as believers, that our joy may be made full, that our joy may be made complete. Because when we pray to God and we align ourselves with his will and pray according to his will, and he answers those prayers, and we see God out of his love answer our prayers, when we see out of his love that he answers those prayers that we pray according to his will, and we see the faithfulness of God, we see the power of God, then that wells up his joy within us. And then we give glory to God in that way. And Jesus spoke about this very purpose of joy being, being instituted for the believers through the fulfillment of prayer, or through the advent of prayer. In, um, in John 16, 24, he says, ask and you'll receive that your joy may be made full. Yes, yes. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. So that is one of the other great purposes of prayer. It's so that our joy as believers may be made full as we see God displaying his love in answering our prayers, as we see him displaying his power, his faithfulness, his majesty his sovereignty, then we can't help but love him more. We can't help but be captured and enraptured by the greatness of the God that we serve. And he receives glory in this way as our joy is made full through the appeals that we place in his presence. And it is that very presence in the first part of verse 14 that John talks about when he says that it's the confidence that we have toward him, that toward him speaks directly about us being in his presence spiritually in prayer. And as John then goes on in verse 15, after he establishes the fact that as believers, we are given the guarantee and the promise that God will hear our very prayers when we pray them according to his will. He goes on in verse 15 to say that, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So there, the apostle John explains that not only has God given us the guarantee that he will hear our prayers, He's also given us the guarantee that he will answer our prayers when they are lifted up according to his will. He has given us a guarantee that when we meet the divine caveat of praying according to his will, not only will he hear our prayers, but he will answer them. And because of this very promise, we as believers in Jesus Christ, we who have entrusted our lives to him, we can enter the presence of God spiritually with great confidence and with great boldness, knowing that when our prayers are aligned with his will, God will answer them. And this promise is given to only believers. This is a promise that God has issued forth only to those who have submitted to him 
through their trust in Jesus Christ. This promise is not extended to unbelievers because the prayers of unbelievers virtually go unheard by God, except in those rare instances where God so chooses because those prayers are aligned with his will. But generally, the prayers of unbelievers go unheard by God. For it is only the prayers of believers, it is only believers who are beholden of this promise that God will hear our prayers and answer them. And Jesus Christ attests to this truth in John 15, 7. Open up your Bibles and go to John 15, 7, and you will see Jesus Christ confirming that the promise of our prayers being heard and answered is extended only to those who abide in him, only to those who continue to persevere in their belief in him. For he says right there in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But the condition begins with that word if. If you abide in me, what you ask will be done for you. There he sets forth the salvific caveat, the salvific standard, that it is only those who are saved by belief in Jesus Christ that this promise extends to. God is only obligated to believers to hear and answer their prayers. And by the grace of God, we who are believers are saved, and therefore this promise extends to us. This promise that if we pray according to God's will, if we submit to him humbly, enter into the, his very presence spiritually and align ourselves with his will, he will hear and answer our prayers. So then the question remains, which I know I asked as a young believer, and it's a question that the majority of Christians ask at some point in time in their walk. It's that question of how do we pray according to God's will? How many of you have asked that question before? How many of you have, have prayed to God, help me to understand how to pray according to your will? This is one of the big questions that I had early on. And not just praying according to God's will, but just knowing God's will. How do we know God's will? This question is answered by the psalmist in Psalm 37, 4. Please turn your Bibles to Psalm 37, verse 4. And once you were there, you will see the psalmist giving the righteous and holy answer to this question. How do we pray according to God's will? How do we know the will of our Father in heaven? And there, the psalmist says in Psalm 37, 4, he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And when the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord, he is indicating that when you commune with God, when you commune with him on a consistent basis, when you commune with him in prayer, when you commune with God through the reading of his word, when you commune with God through the worshiping in church with other believers, when you commune with God through the fellowshipping of other believers, when you draw near to him, he draws near to you. And he then gives you his desires. He places his divine will 
in your heart. And when you look at the Hebrew, the heart, the word for heart points to the center of the mind. So what it's indicating is that when you delight yourself in the Lord, he places his will in your mind. And therefore, because you have communed with him so consistently, you have drawn so close to him day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, you're so close to him that his will has been placed in your heart. Therefore, when you enter into prayer, the prayers that emanate from your heart, from your mind, are aligned with his will. It's aligned with his purpose. It's aligned with his plan. And we see countless prayers and instructions for prayers within the Bible. But the key is exactly what the psalmist says, to delight. And when he says delight, he's indicating that we should not commune with God out of duty. He uses the word delight, pointing to the fact that we should joyfully Pray to God consistently. We should joyfully read the word. We should joyfully worship in church. We should joyfully fellowship with other believers. This is delighting in the Lord when it's done out of thankfulness for what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Therefore, it wells up in us as joy. And that's expressed. It's not out of duty. It's out of joy. And when we do that, God gives us his will. And we also see clear instructions for his will in prayer throughout the Bible. For throughout the Bible, God instructs us that we should pray with thanksgiving. That's according to his will. He says that we should pray for forgiveness. That's according to his will. He says that we should pray for the loss. That's according to his will. He says that we should pray for faith. We should pray for relief from affliction. We should pray for one another. We should pray for the advancement of his kingdom. These are all specific directions of how we could pray according to God's will and align with his very will. And when we do so, our Father in heaven has guaranteed that he will hear our prayers and he will answer them. And his will will be done here on earth and he will be glorified by it. And we will be filled with the joy of God as we see it happening here on earth. Amen? Amen. And of course, if there's anyone here who does not have that promise, I just encourage you to repent for your sins, to submit to Jesus Christ and your Lord and Savior, that you may be free from that condemnation that awaits every sinner, and then receive the manifold blessings, this great gift of being able to enter into the very presence of God through prayer and have your prayers answered and God be glorified through his will being done. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.